Welcome to A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life, the accompanying podcast to Larry Ruttman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards, an existential triad of friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation. Hi there, I'm Jordan Rich with a pretty easy task and a fun one at that. I pose questions to Larry, and with that razor-sharp memory of his and a great talent for storytelling, well, you just have to settle back and enjoy the ride. Larry, it's uh, clear to me that you're a man with many, many friends. And if you don't have just friends, you have colleagues. If you don't have colleagues, you have allies. You've got people in your life all over the place. So we don't want to leave too many people out. Who do we want to add to our list of friends? Well, there are a few that uh, were in, that are in my um, yet unpublished, but uh, hopefully soon to be published memoir called A Life Lived Backwards. Uh, and um, I think one of them is uh, Dr. Christine Conejo. Now, that's spelled C-O-R-N-E-J-O. Her mother and dad came from uh, Ecuador, I think it was. She's uh, She was born in this country, and she went to school at the famous Perlman School of Medicine down in Philadelphia, and she's a dermatologist at the Dana-Farber. They don't hire people unless they're tops in their classes wherever they come from. So... Um, I was assigned to Christine as a follow-up to the melanoma I had, um, which turned out uh, that they got the melanoma before it got into my system, as I think I've talked about before. And uh, But I had to follow up every year. I think now I'm toward the end of that. Um, I'm going, uh, I saw Dr. Yoon, the surgeon, recently, and he said, you're dismissed. Um, it hasn't shown up. You're fine. Um, hopefully, but can can always turn up. Anybody can get anything. So anyway, uh, uh, I got to see Christine, and uh, she did a very thorough exam. I could tell it was a thorough exam. She looked every place, didn't find anything suspicious. And then we got into a conversation because it was the last uh, appointment of the day, and uh, I discovered uh, that Christine was a dedicated doctor who uh, had studied very hard, finished very high in her class, and was very interested in the people, uh, the individuals that she served as, uh, as a doctor. I mean, people like me. So uh, I really found her to be committed, and I was impressed. And since then, we've become good friends. You know, I, I get to see her every six months or so. That, that will continue because, you know, it's always good to have a trained dermatologist look at you to see whether there's any anything that recurs that needs to be looked after. But now when we see each other, it's not only examination, but we talk about this, that, and the other thing. Is she going to stay at the Dana-Farber? Is it where does she think she might go? If she goes someplace else, how is it now that she's deep into her profession? What about uh, questions of immigration? Because uh, her mother and father came to this country from... Uh, from another country. Uh, what about people of color? Because I suppose she would be thought to be a person of color, very light skinned, but I'm assuming she has, she probably has told me, might have some Indian blood or something like that from where she comes from. But anyway, I think the bottom line, Jordan, is that uh, um, like you, I mean, you're the same. I mean, you have a million friends, probably more than I do. <laughs> but friendship is a big deal. And uh, I think we're going to spend a good deal of time this morning talking about friendship and uh, both uh, your experiences and mine. It's one of the, it's in the title of my memoir, uh, An Existential Triad of uh, Friendship uh, 
inquisitiveness and maturation. So those are the guiding lights of my life. And um, so that uh, I think that uh, telling you about Christine is uh, it's just another well, one of those, uh, not just, uh, is another one of those great experiences where you come in contact and find out more about a person than just mm. hello, goodbye, and a few nice words, something that you can think that you can, you know, uh, that you get to know about. And you can person. build on it. Well, we're living in a great part of the world here in Boston in this area because of the medical community. But the fact that it's such a melting pot and you have so much diversity and people coming in from all over the world. And, and you and I are alike in that regard. We talk to everybody. Our wives will remind us of that, you know. But I have uh, similar experiences with doctors, nurses. First of all, I, I appreciate what they do, and I know you do too, and the time and effort it took to get to where they are. But you, it's really a joy to be able to, and especially when they have good news, <laughs> to be able to converse and communicate uh, even beyond the doctor-patient relationship. It's nice. Yeah, well, absolutely. I think that uh, you think it right about Boston. I think, I think Boston must be one of the uh, greatest cities in the world for meeting people, uh, diverse people from various places, because we have such uh, great industries, if that's the word, in medicine and uh, communications, academics. And, uh, sure. The academic world, the college uh, scene, and I, I, I mean, if you get out, if you go to a ball game or a hockey game, or you go to a theater or something like that, who knows who's sitting next to you? It could be somebody very interesting. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I just it just popped into my mind. I'm thinking one time I went to um, a concert in the new Disney is it concert hall in Los Angeles? Uh, yeah, that sounds right. Sure. And there was a lady sitting next to me. So I said, boy, that was a nice performance. Well, that started, um, this was intermission, started a conversation. Turned out to be an opera singer who had been well-known at one time. So we talked about opera. Of course. And uh, so I, it was a fascinating conversation. I learned, you know, I learned something. People can always teach you things. I just met yesterday on the phone the conductor of the Kendall Square Orchestra, which is made up of high-tech, uh, biotech people, nurses, doctors, and uh, like the Longwood Symphony here in the area, medical professionals who play classical music. So, uh, same thing. I mean, I just, I just bumped into this guy and we started talking and developed a nice relationship. Well, you know, that reminds me of, uh, for example, um, in the medical profession— was it? Did you say a doctor? Yeah, yeah. Uh, biotech people, doctors, nurses, etc. No, I think over at the, uh, I think there's a symphony orchestra where the musicians, uh, you know, are all. Doctors. I think that's the Longwood Symphony um, from the Longwood Medical Area. And, yeah, right. And, but there are other groups like that. Doctors and nurses and medical people and healthcare in people, you know, they have lives outside of their occupations. They have to to have some sense of sanity, I suppose. But you know, Matthew O'Coin, who's one of the, he's world famous now. He's only 31 years old. He's in my, he's in my book on, mm -hmm. uh, on classical music. And he's, he just wrote an opera that has been performed six times or eight times in last December by the Met. And he's a wonderful guy. And, uh, I interviewed him for a long time. Well, he went to Harvard, and he went to Harvard because he didn't want to go to a conservatory. He wanted to get a more general education. Anyway, the point being that at Harvard, uh, 
I went to a production, not the one he did. He did a production of The Marriage of Figaro. Earlier, I went to a production of The Marriage of Figaro. These are all Harvard students. Maybe some of them are studying music, but most of them are not. They're great. I mean, uh, so that there's a lot of people who've chosen um, other things to follow for their full careers, but still are great musicians and continue their musical career as well. Well, just to offshoot a little bit here and to uh, sidebar that, there's something in this area, the New England Conservatory. I know you're very familiar with that, Lair. And they do concerts almost, almost daily. They're always free, students and sometimes faculty. So we are living in that cliched, rich area that people hear about, the hub of the universe, <laughs> right? Because there's so much here. I want to get back, though, to friends and friendship. And you talked about this wonderful doctor. There are others that you've met, many of them from other parts of the country, other parts of the world. Want to share with us another name uh, that I know you wanted to bring up? Well, this is not another doc. I think we spoke about uh, some from other parts of the world. Um, on another podcast, we spoke about... Um, Our friend from the Ukraine. We talked about him. Uh, yeah, Dr. Talalievsky, and we also talked about um, uh, Dr. Uh, uh, the lady from Germany, who's um, such a great doctor. She's out at, uh, she's practicing now in Western Massachusetts. And um, I'm trying to think of uh, her name. It'll uh, come to me. Schneiderbauer is a last name. Now, that's a German name. That's close enough. She comes from southern Germany near Munich mm -hmm. from a farm there. And uh, Michaela is her first name. She's a wonderful person. I spoke about your her. Your powers of recollection are pretty amazing. We don't rehearse these little moments. We <laughs> just want no, the no, audience no, no, I, to know. I want to tell you. I mean, I just turned 92 since the last term, last time we met. And um, I think that I'm very lucky at 92 to have the cognitive powers that I do. I can still write. You know that. Oh, superpowers, I, if you ask me. How did you celebrate your birthday before we move on? We're not a big we're not big celebrants of uh, birthdays. We went out to dinner at uh, the Seasons in um, Newton. Do yeah, you know that one? outside of Boston, the Seasons restaurant. Yes, yeah, and I didn't think it was all that great. Um, I had lamb, but um, we, that we saw, you know we went there. We had a very lovely dinner. You and Lois. Uh, on Anyone that, else? You know, we were joined by another couple. Lovely. And it was, nice. you know, it was nice, quiet, but nice. Um, no, it was. it's not another doctor that I want to talk about right now. It's a guy named, I don't, we may have spoken about him before, Emmanuel, quote, Manny, close quote, Casseus, C-A-S-S-E-U-S. -S -S -E the reason I want to talk about Manny is, is I, you know, the story fits in with the idea of immigration, acceptance of people from other countries, acceptance of people of color, and the way they make headway in the American society. They still can, even though we live in a divided nation where we got a lot of people on the other end of the political spectrum who still think that uh, we should be all white and uh, so forth. But Emmanuel uh, Amani, first of all, what he did for me, how did I meet him? Well, he uh, he's advanced at the Beth Israel to become the head of his lab, and they do blood work. And I, I used to go in there and had a test every uh, once in a while to see that my blood was properly thinned, and uh, he did that. But we got into conversations, and we really got to know each other, and we had a lot of fun. He'd be punching a hole in my arm, and we'd be 
laughing up a storm. Is that referred to as phlebotomy, by the way? No, what? No, not a phlebotomy. Not a phlebotomist? No, it was called an INR, which tests your blood uh, for, is it, uh, if you have atrial fibrillation. Oh, okay. Which I can't feel. That's a more advanced area than uh, Yeah, and to test that your blood is thin because if it gets too thick, it can form a clot. This makes me sound unhealthy, folks. That's not true. He's healthy as a horse, <laughs> as a young stallion, but be that as it may. Let's talk about Manny. Let's talk about the relationship. Yeah, well, Manny, as I say, we, we talked about a lot of things. Now, where did Manny come from? Came from Haiti. Came from Haiti, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago. And, uh, you know, they speak French down there. He learned to speak English perfectly well. Not only that, he met another. He met a woman from Haiti, not in Haiti, but here. And they got married, and he do, he has his lab at BI, and she has a high position uh, uh, in medicine at the uh, Brigham. And they've got two children. One just became a lawyer, hmm. and the other one is uh, some sort of a school. Uh, he has some expertise that has to do with education. So uh, Manny and I became very good friends, and very warm, hugging friends when I would leave you know, we would hug, and that's how close we became. I don't go there now because I take a pill that doesn't require that test. And uh, but, but in any event, uh, I drop in there every once in a while if I'm around to say hello. Um, I think the amazing thing is that Manny came here as uh, a guy that um, had to make his way in a different society, and not only did he— but his wife as well, and now because of what they did, their children, have made serious inroads into a much higher level of American society. I mean, the work he does is extremely helpful to people. The work his wife does is extremely helpful to people. His son has become a lawyer. Now, as a former lawyer, I can say that's not particularly helpful to people. That's a joke. <laughs> that's a joke. No, no. <laughs> No, don't take it seriously, folks. If your lawyers are in the field, relax. And I want to tell people that uh, lawyers are uh, oftentimes, not all of them, but lawyers are oftentimes uh, degraded. Is that the right word? Maligned. Maligned unnecessarily. Yes, right. I mean, uh, where would we be without Abraham Lincoln? Where would we be uh, without uh, Franklin Roosevelt? Uh, there's a lot of lawyers that have made tremendous differences. In our society, I think uh, isn't Joe Biden a lawyer? I think so. I don't. I don't know what his background is. Well, Obama certainly was. Yeah, Obama was uh, writing the law review for Harvard, right? Clinton certainly was. Yes, he was former Attorney General in Arkansas before he was Governor, I believe. Yeah. So that um, in any of, event, uh, I, don't want to, I don't want to demean lawyers. Well, I think the story about a Manny is that um, he's a very warm guy, a very friendly guy. But uh, and I've told him this, I, and I wrote a story about him, as I say, uh, for my memoir. And uh, essentially, what I'm saying in that story is that uh, here's a guy that's a great American citizen, great American success story, right? right. And coming should, from the poorest country on earth, they say that's right. And yeah. we, we should not be thinking of ways to s- send these people away. That's what America's built on. Hey. Jordan, if the country turns more brown as time goes on, and it will, is that bad? A lot of people are in tanning booths trying to do that on their own, Larry. <laughs> Let's face it. No, it's not. It's not bad at all. I think it's 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 a testament to how hard these people 
work when they get here, and also how they dealt with the worst kind of tyranny and horrible conditions, something we in America don't ever experience, even in the worst of places and times. So I give credit. I have uh, several friends who are from West Africa and Haiti who uh, work in where I live as as concierge, drivers, etc. in that general area. They're some of the best people I know. Well, have you ever been to Haiti? No, no, but I've uh, done some work with organizations that support Haiti Relief, you know, doing radio pr- promotion and so forth for that to raise money. Well, you know, the situation in Haiti now is pretty terrible. But uh, do you know that Haiti um, declared its independence uh, back in the early 19th century? Yeah, one of the first slave uh, outfits to do that, right? Slave nations. Right, to- and the guy, the guy that was the head of the country at that time was named Henri Christophe. And uh, he, um, I think that, uh, I think at one point, there's some story about down it at on Cape Haitian, which is some miles south of the uh, capital, his army, he t- there's a cliff there. And if you go off the cliff, that's curtains. Mm-hmm. And I think he ordered some of the soldiers to march off so that we went down to Cape Haitian and I was there. And my wife, Lois, told me to march. (laughs) (laughs) Keep going, Larry. You're almost there. The one thing I know about the Haitians in my life, the people I know, is that they're extremely family-oriented, very loyal to family, including those back home. Yes. Supporting them if they can. That's right. Well, I find find in a lot of black families, there are really powerful family relationships so that, um, you know— not, not that there isn't among. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, but I think you're making a good point. But Haitian culture is is very much uh, driven by family loyalty and family strength and so forth. It's amazing how different Haitian society is from the society in the Dominican Republic, which is the other part of the island. Pretty much the same island, just split in half, right? I, I mean, voodoo and all that stuff. I mean, it's mm. it's a different culture altogether. One thing's for sure, uh, we get some of our better baseball players these days from the Dominican. Oh, I mean, well, there's, there's <laughs> zillions of them. It's a, it's a fertile ground for fostering great baseball. Oh, they play baseball. Wow, look at the players the Red Sox have had. Pedro Martinez, I mean. Oh, the list is endless. Uh, David Ortiz, of course, right? Another one. Dominican. So getting back to, to sort of put a capper on this one. Your whole memoir is so rich with friends and acquaintances and people you've met and how they've impacted you, and yet you don't talk about how you've impacted them. Share with me what do you think you've impacted Manny and uh, our other doctor, Christine. How, how, how did you change their lives for the better? Well, that's, that's a good question, Jordan. Um, I've thought about that to some extent. I'm a little bit amazed that at this late stage in life that I've become sort of a go-to guy, mm-hmm. uh, like a guru or something. People young and old and in the middle of life ask me their advice and uh, uh, you know what I think about certain things. Um, and I never really expected this. It's all come in my 80s and 90s since I took up a writing career. I mean, people came to me and asked me things as a lawyer, but that was that's in a different 
uh, milieu. Mm-hmm. So I would say um, that what do they get? I think that um, – and I've tried to figure it out. I think first of all that – and you've pointed this out on some of these podcasts that I'm very forward. I like to talk to people and that I show myself and I don't hide things. And I think also, you know, I don't speak in big words, whether it's in writing or otherwise. Um, you know, if, if, if a big word comes into my mind, a lot of times I'll tone it down to something that's a, a better known word. I, I would add something very important that – and you're – believe it or not, he's very humble. Believe it or not. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't believe it. I don't. And that is you're willing to listen to these folks, anybody uh, that's that's conversing with you. You're not just one way on these conversations just as we are. You are listening to Manny. You're listening to the doctors, but you're also listening to the guy who uh, sells you a sandwich. You know, you're, you, not that you're going to spend all day hanging with that dude, but you are an avid listener and people really feel that and appreciate that about you. Yeah, and I think uh, I, that that I think that's true, and I think also there's something about I talk a lot, and I think people think I know a lot. But you know, it's a funny thing. I can turn the tables on you right here, Jordan. I mean, um, I had an experience, and I've mentioned it to you when I started listening to uh, the program that you call um, on Mike. Um, by the way, you misspelled Mike. Am I? Uh, it's on purpose. That's on purpose. <laughs> don't, don't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't, don't go after the artistic privilege here. It's called On Mike with Jordan Rich. It's my podcast. But go so ahead. I know I started listening to those, and you've done over 300 of them, and they're amazing. Um, not only because you get terrific people to talk to about a multiplicity of subjects, but that uh, you, first of all, it's obvious you come to each of those prepared. That's so important. You know about these people. And then, you know, your natural affect is very friendly. And you listen, too. Uh, I mean, you're not a big interrupter. I've said to you that, um, you know, you're a well-known guy uh, at, at, uh, nationally. But on the other hand, uh, you've never had the fame that somebody like Charlie Rose, uh, people like that, uh, who's fallen into great despair? Sort of infamous in that regard, uh, Charlie Rose. No, I, I, I appreciate that. I think the greatest gift one can offer as an interviewer is the connection and the, the, the knowledge that I'm listening. I really am listening. I'm not reading notes and asking the next question without listening. And, and I think in life, you do that. You're, you're internally curious, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Keeps you young. It does. Old, should I say, keeps you young, old wise one, the oracle at Delphi. Listen, another thing, Jordan, is that, you, you know, you've gotten, you, you've, the, uh, uh, I mean, some of the things that some of these great sages over the time have said about how to stay young are so true. And one of them, of course, is to keep contact with people, to be inquisitive. Um, but, I, but, you know, I, I told you, I left the movie theater because I got tired I've seen movies where people were dumping popcorn on my head and pushing me to get by and talking behind me and people smooching on the other side and, mm-hmm. you know, some weird guy sitting next to me um, and occasionally a nice-looking girl. Of course. So that, um, you know, so I said, oh, s- screw this. I can't. Then along came bigger and bigger television sets. And then you came along, and I know you love movies, and you spurred my interest in movies. So I, I started watching movies, old ones, new ones, famous ones, not so famous ones, 
this subject, that subject, and I was fascinated. Now, you talk about inquisitiveness. I, after I see a movie, I always go and find out about that movie. Absolutely, I do and the same thing. I read, you know, who was the <laughs> producer. I mean, there were so many people behind the camera that it's, you know, there's... Can I make a request in that case? Can we do a podcast together and talk about film and how it's impacted our lives? Yeah, I was thinking about that. I would love it because that's a whole big podcast all by itself, if that's all right with you. Oh, yeah, absolutely, because I've become a real fan um, and I'm always looking for a good movie to watch and uh, so that when I study them afterwards, you know, I've come to realize the tremendous effect that they've had on our lives culturally and entertainment-wise. We'll do that in the very near future. In the meantime, talking about friends with a friend is kind of cool. Thank you, Larry. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. That's what's fun. This has been a life lived backwards, one man's life. The accompanying podcast to Larry Ruttman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards, an existential triad of friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation. You can subscribe and download this podcast, available on all podcast platforms. For information on Larry, his books, lectures, and much more, visit the website LarryRuttman.com. Also check out the extensive Larry Ruttman page on Wikipedia. This is Jordan Rich inviting you to join us again next time as Larry shares more stories about friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation on A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life.